what Marvel stuff were you associated with back in the day? We did a lot of action figures, a lot of electronics with them. So they'd be like talking to each other. I did a product called Bash and Brawlers, which was a stuffed wrestling doll that had bend sensors so that when you bent it and wrestled with the with the wrestler, it would make noises like, oh, you're breaking my arm and stuff like that. So it was the kind of fun <laughs> kind of stuff. It's all like look, sound and lights and sensors and plastic. Is a kid supposed to relent when he hears that his doll, his arm is being broken? <laughs> <laughs> well, the kid's doing it, but it, it looks like Hulk Hogan, right? The guy looks like Hulk Hogan and you're like stronger than Hulk Hogan, which is kind of fun. Yeah. That's why the kids love it. And so the doll was like kind of this big and they can kind of, you know, pose it and break it, and, you know, kind of wrestle with it. So... It was and that was four a million of those things. It was a pretty, that was a pretty big one. Wow. So. Yeah. A simpler time before video games told us to finish him. <laughs> you grew up with an abiding attention to figuring out how stuff works, taking things apart, putting them back together. What was your childhood like? When did you first think you developed a joy in, in engineering and taking things apart? I mean, always as a kid, I always liked building things, right? Legos, uh, model kits, drawing, all kinds of drawing and type of things around design. And, and I was fortunate. I, I grew up as an expat in Hong Kong and my father was in the toy business and he ran the Hot Wheels factory and the Barbie factory. And so at a young age, I was in and out of these manufacturing locations. Oh, wow. I could see, you know, parts being molded, assembled, people designing products. And it was just fascinating to me. I loved it. You know, so all my internships in college, I, I worked in China in different factories, did a housewares factory. I worked in a plastics molding factory. And so cut and sew where they were building, you know, making apparel and clothing and, and different garments. And so really exposed to all kinds of different manufacturing processes and just really got to see how things were built. And you, you worked in these yeah. processes? How old were you? At that point, I was not on the assembly line. I was more doing design work as an intern because I'd already started my engineering degree at Villanova. And so I'd be in Pennsylvania for school. And then all summer, I'd have about three or four months of summer leave. I would come back, fly to China and work there. And then obviously when the fall came, I would fly back to the States, you know, spent a lot of time in different types of companies, a whole range of different companies in that, in that way. So you finished high school in Hong Kong and then came straight to Philly for college? I did. Yeah. So I did basically sixth through 12th grades at an international school in Hong Kong. It's basically an American curriculum with mostly American students. We did have a lot of Hong Kong students as well. It was all English speaking. So oh, sure. Yeah. Much, uh, an American curriculum. And what year are we talking about now? Because I mean, the handover so was in the 90s, 80, right? 82 to 89. So it was well before the handover. So it was still at that point a British colony. Um, so how do you feel what's happening now since the handover? <laughs> it's funny because it's been a very gradual process. Obviously, when the handover happened in 97, it was pretty much the same. The only thing that really changed is the flag changed, right? So, mm -hmm. but most of the stuff in all the businesses I've worked in, I've done a lot of manufacturing, continued manufacturing in China. So I would go to Hong Kong usually at least once a year anyway for business trips. And so I kind of see that evolution of the government, what's happened. And I think the whole thing with COVID really changed it. And all the protests that happened about four years ago where people were demonstrating 
over the extradition laws that they were trying to impose. That really changed everything where communist China really wanted to take control of the population and really kind of enforce like its policies. With your experience in Hong Kong, you saw the handover in 97. Um, what were your thoughts about it then? And how do you think those thoughts have played out? When the handover happened, they pretty much didn't want to mess up a good thing, right? I mean, Hong Kong is a successful trading place, financial hub, uh, manufacturing port, uh, it just a lot of advantages that it has. Just a place where a lot of talent lived too, where they could really kind of harness that. I think what's happened though, is a lot of that has changed because the government just wants control now. They don't want the freedom of speech. They want to be able to control the rhetoric. It was pretty much very similar until about five years ago, I'd say. And then things really changed, started to change. And how do you think your appreciation for the way Chinese culture works, both communist China and what's left of Hong Kong's democracy, if we can call it that, how do you think your awareness of that dynamic shapes your view of international commerce and the way that supply chains work and how entrepreneurial opportunities have evolved that involve Chinese enterprises? I think the biggest impact has been sort of the American opinion of it. You know, with the Trump administration really kind of did a lot of saber rattling and, and really kind of rallied the American people to kind of rebel against China-made goods, uh, even though still a huge portion of the imports into the United States are made in China. Very much America first, made in America was really a campaign thrust where a lot of his party kind of followed that and, and, and it's kind of rolled over into everything. And so I think that's really impacted a lot of things. Uh, we had the tariffs that were imposed, which have impacted a lot of products I make. And so as a company for PureCleanse, we made the decision to uh, move our manufacturing to Vietnam. So we're in the process of making that transition now. So by September and October, we're going to be making products in Vietnam instead of China. The COVID lockdowns, getting product in and out of the country with all the tariff issues and things like that, it just seems to be just a prudent move to make right now. Even though I've made products in China since probably 1993, when I kind of came out of college, I worked in the toy business for a long time. And then, you know, we always made stuff in China because it was just, we, we knew the quality, we knew that the talent, we knew the teams, the culture, how it worked, how to get things made reliably with good quality at a good price. And now it's kind of changed, you know, in the sense that what the government has done, they've really kind of hurt the manufacturing sector. Well, speaking of good quality at a good price, you are listening to episode 238 of the successfully funded podcast brought to you by KiwiTech, a growing ecosystem of entrepreneurs, investors, mentors, accelerators, incubators, and corporations. We help early and growth stage startups build viable products, drive traction, raise capital, and scale their businesses. And we have a disclaimer here I'd like to read. It's very important. It does extend much longer than this. You can find it's the full disclaimer on our website, which is successfullyfundedpodcast.com slash disclaimer. But here is an important portion of it. KiwiTech is not acting as a broker, dealer, or investment advisor, and is not registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission in any such capacities. At no time does KiwiTech provide investment advice, endorsement, analysis, or recommendations with respect to securities. Information contained herein should be viewed for entertainment purposes only. KiwiTech does not verify or assure that information provided by any issuer offering its securities is accurate or complete, or that the valuation of such securities is appropriate.
Investing in securities, particularly in securities issued by startup companies, involves substantial risk, and investors should be able to bear the loss of their entire investment. Again, for the full disclaimer, please read it at successfullyfundedpodcast.com slash disclaimer. I'm your host, Doug French, and I am here with the founder and CEO of PuraCleanse, Chris Dooley. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Doug. And we were talking about policies toward China and moving to Vietnam, which is an interesting development. I think the political message of America First definitely resonated with the crowd, although it wasn't necessarily um, based in a lot of practicality. It seemed like a soundbite that people could just run with, regardless of the impact of what that actually means in terms of international pricing structures and so forth. So you're finding now that a segueing to Vietnam is going to be a, a better situation for all involved? Yeah, we made the transition with a trusted supplier. I've known the supplier for over 20 years, and the company's been manufacturing all kinds of export-grade product for Fortune 500 companies. They agreed to start setting up manufacturing for PureCleanse, and, and that transition will be complete by uh, October. You talk about your decades of experience in international production, coupled with your early indoctrination as a geek who liked to see how stuff got built. I love talking to people who have just extensive arcane knowledge of things that most people take for granted. What brought your family to Hong Kong in the first place? My father worked for Mattel running engineering and manufacturing for various product lines. So he started off running the Hot Wheels factory. Then he later set up the Barbie factory in mainland China. At the time when we moved, they were actually still doing manufacturing in Hong Kong. And by the time I had graduated high school, all of that had moved over to communist China, which was just the next city across the border. So Hong Kong is very close to uh, Shenzhen, which is where all the manufacturing had moved to. So did your family stay there or are they all back in the States? They live about an hour and a half from us. We actually just saw them this weekend. My oldest son graduated from college. So uh, hey, congratulations. Yeah. Family celebration for that, which was nice. So they're all up there in Connecticut with you. And so when the time came to go to college, how did you reintegrate back to American life after uh, living in Hong Kong for so long? That must have been a bit of a challenge to come to Philly from Hong Kong. It was a big change. I did have the opportunity to travel back to the U.S. at least once a year anyway. To, so it wasn't like I'd been gone for seven or eight years and not been back to the U.S. Really enjoyed it. It was a great college experience. I love basketball and the team has always been good at basketball. So that was a, another kind of perk of going to Villanova. Yeah. So how you feel about Jay Wright now? Did you miss him already? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. That's, that was a, that was a big shock to everybody in Nova nation, but we wish Jay well, and he's just done a tremendous job for us. Yeah. He's built a hell of a program and yeah, I could just, I can see you coming back from the diverse food in Hong Kong alone and just looking at all the cheesesteaks and thinking, what am I, <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> We love the South Philly cheesesteaks, absolutely. Yeah, well, that's a, a very diplomatic thing to say. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's Tony Luke's, right? Is that the big, uh, the most famous one down there? I think so. Yeah, yeah. That's the famous one. Yeah. Yeah, I find that if you buy one, you should save it for about seven meals and you'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> and so now you went from Villanova, graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering, but then the MBA from NYU didn't happen until four years later. So what's the interim looking like? Yeah, so I, I worked for Hasbro. I went into the toy business like my father and started off as sort of a plastics design engineer. At the time, Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers were the two brands that Hasbro owned. Yeah. So I did a lot of product development for those game products. 
After that, I moved to uh, Marvel and I worked for their toy division. So I rose from like a product manager up to a vice president during that time. And I was also going to NYU Stern at night for my MBA. So it was a very busy time in my life because it was long yeah, hours for of work. Sure. And then I was trying to, you know, fitting in the MBA part time. You could probably walk around saying that you're, you developed the Pop-O-Matic for trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I just dig stuff like that. I think anytime you can create something that becomes instantly iconic and ever present, and yet people take it completely for granted. That's something that I hope listeners to this podcast will develop an appreciation for. It's just, we need to focus on the fact that interesting things are being invented and created every day to solve important problems like this current product you have at PuraCleanse to, um, do away with hospital acquired infections. Do you want to share the story about the inspiration for this product came about? Yeah. So um, my other founder, Wendell Menick, kind of brought me into this opportunity where he identified a technology, which is an evolved form of photocatalytic oxidation, which can create huge amount of safe ions that fill a space. And it's so powerful that it will not only react with pathogens midair, but will actually clean the surfaces automatically as well. This company called Uvarix, we acquired it. We purchased the intellectual property, which included patents and trade secrets. A key member of their team, Jared Keith, also joined our company. He's the inventor of our catalyst, which is really the engine of how PureCleanse works, where it has a special design blade system, and we put a proprietary trade secret coating on top of those blades. And as air flows through it, it creates ionization which is ozone-free, which means it's very safe. And we have zero ozone certifications on all our products. So that ionization is so powerful that it can kill viruses, bacteria, and mold spores. But because of the cell structure, it does not hurt uh, humans, plants, or animals. It's sort of the way nature cleans, where if you go outside and UV reacts with air molecules, they can create ionization, which kills all those things naturally. That's why they kind of say, go outside, it's safer it's the same type of photocatalytic effect that occurs outside. So what we did at Pure Cleanse is sort of take how nature cleans and brought it indoors. See, there's a sound bite right there. That's, you know, we, we are developing so much of the work we do at KiwiTech involves entrepreneurs who are recognizing the opportunities of the natural world and recognizing that those opportunities work for a reason. They've evolved to be efficient. And people like yourself have recognized ways to mimic that for the benefit of a particular solution. You already speak so eloquently and extensively about this subject. How much about all of this filtration that PuraCleanse now features did you know about before the company even began? Well, uh, two years before we founded PuraCleanse, we started the, the due diligence process. So, um, you know, investigated all kinds of different air purification technologies, in particular, how PCO works, kind of how it had been used before, other ways to create ionization, because there's several ways you can do it. You can do it electrically with like bipolar ionization and electrical probes that create the ions. And so just knowing the pros and cons of all those technologies and doing the homework on that, we, it, it became very clear that PCO is the safest and best way to do this. And historically with PCO, you know, they haven't been able to create the ionization. They had to introduce ozone to get it to work. And with the revolutionary catalyst that PureCleanse has patented and the coding we've developed that goes on top of that catalyst, it allows us to create a huge competitive advantage. It creates all these ozone-free ions 
that PCO could never do before. So we've really kind of taken the core PCO technology that was first introduced at the, in the International Space Station, and we've evolved that design at PureCleanse to create our new line of purifiers. So, so to be clear then, PCO stands for? PCO stands for photocatalytic oxidation. All right, that's a good thing to know. I'm just wondering too, do you feel like you failed your children because your dad was into toys and now, now that you're a dad, you're into cleaning up hospitals? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I tell my background, my kids are, the things they're most excited about talking about their friends is the toys I worked on at Marvel. I also launched Roomba, which was, you know, the robotic vacuum cleaner, which- what? For my robot. Yeah, Wait, so let's not was, bury the lead here. You launched Roomba? Yeah. So I, I joined iRobot when um, basically they had developed an, a partnership with SC Johnson to develop a Swiffer bot. And at the time, SC Johnson decided the robot you develop is just way too expensive because they're all about a razor, razor blade scenario where they give away the razor to sell the Swiffers, right? So they wanted to give the robot away and just keep selling consumable Swiffers all the time. Tried the, and true, right? Yeah. Too expensive. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I was, I worked with the, the team and it was a brilliant team of MIT engineers. And my boss was Colin Angle, who's still the founder, CEO, and chairman at iRobot. And we put together, a, sort of took the key sensor technology that was there and just put a vacuum into it. We got rid of the Swiffer and we created a vacuum system. And from there, we launched Roomba. So um, I set up all the supply chain for Roomba, marketing and sales as well. And it was, it was an amazing ride. We, we, we did, you know, I think, $60 million in the first year of business. So, wow. Um, and, and obviously, our robot's gone public and has done very well. So. so when you see a Roomba play a crucial plot point in a show like Breaking Bad, does that give you a <laughs> source of pride? That was that, and I love that show. I, I, I mean, Breaking Bad was was one of, is one of my favorites, and, and and I didn't know that was coming because I hadn't seen any of the, the spoiler alerts, and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I can't believe that. That's that was amazing. So, so at least uh, that can you can salvage some street cred with your kids. You can say, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, and they've all watched it because they're older now, so they're they're all you know they love that too. That's that that episode. Yeah, I envy people who are recognizing that Better Call Saul is finishing up and they don't realize there's a whole other series that they don't, they're not even aware of yet that just is extraordinary from start to finish. I just appreciate precision in all its forms, whether it be creating hospital filters or narrative storytelling. So, wow. So you were a part of iRobot and Roomba, which is, okay, that's, I'm, I'm impressed already. But let's talk about the, uh, the interim. You've started, is it five companies? Yeah. So after iRobot, obviously, that got my entrepreneurial spirit going just to see, you know, to kind of take a product that was just unknown and make it a household name. And so was that kind of always there, that entrepreneurial? Did you did you feel like it just was discovered or did you did you always have that and this kind of brought it out or did you just turn a corner and say, wow, I have some opportunities here? I mean, Hong Kong is a very entrepreneurial place. Everybody has small companies and they're all every everything's a startup there. Right. You know, so. It kind of growing up around that was it had a huge impact on me. And then as I in my career, I sort of started in bigger companies and went to smaller and smaller companies. And as I did that, I realized, listen, I love to wear all the hats. I love to create a business from nothing, create a product from nothing. So I actually went on and invented 80 items that have gone to market. I started in the toy business and did a lot of toy products. Anything did you say you said 80, 80? 80, 80. I have a swimming pool and I invented a bunch of Swimming pool toys. I have five kids and they inspired me all the time to make new stuff. And I invented Baby Brezza's Formula Pro, which is 
basically it's a curing for baby powder. You put powder, water in it. It makes a baby bottle for you automatically. So that's been in the market for going on seven years now. It's sold worldwide. I own all the patents for that as well. And so we licensed that to a big company that has now you know, scaled the whole appliance business for babies. 80. So yeah, if you get to 100, do you get a free cheesesteak? <laughs> I stopped <laughs> counting, actually, to be honest. It's, yeah. That's an impressive body of work. That's It's great that you can fall back on that and bring that level, that quantity of experience in terms of things you've brought to market and the exits that you've engineered or the revenue streams that you've engineered, either way, uh, that bring yourself to PuraCleanse now. So after iRobot and this kind of new entrepreneurial spirit was launched, what came next? I created a retail business. It was like a kid's recreation center. I was selling microchips for a while as well. So all the electronics and the kind of brains of how a product works. So I was selling that to the toy business and other kind of consumer product companies. I ran a point of purchase advertising business. So if you go into grocery stores and drug stores, you see all the little signs that they advertise products. So remember the the motorized coupon machine that you pull the coupon out and the next one comes out. I designed and I manufactured that for many years. Wait, so are you um, the reason that people leave CVS with enough receipt to make an ace bandage? <laughs> so, so that's the kind of stuff I worked on. Any, any kind of electronics with, with a cool technology in them, many products like that. So, you know, for Pure Cleanse, when I kind of saw that opportunity, I was like, well, now there's really an opportunity to change and revolutionize how air and surfaces are purified just by this technology that's so powerful yet safe for people to be around. And it's proven with all these lab research and stuff we've done to make sure it's safe. Not only does it make the room that you're in less contaminated, but you don't get sick from it, from the ionization it creates. And what kind of data exists to indicate how effective Pure Cleanse is compared to competitors? We've done a whole bunch of laboratory tests in four different labs around the world. We partnered with a, a very talented group in Kansas called ARE, and they have aerosol chambers. So they fill these chambers up with viruses, bacteria, and mold one at a time, huge quantities of it. Then they'll run our device and then take air samples. And so this isn't a small chamber. This is a very large chamber about the size of a room. And you're looking at there's different tiers of this product, right? Like 30,000 cubic feet, was it? 30,000 cubic feet. 15,000 cubic feet and uh, 7,500 cubic feet, three different models that we have. We did testing in those labs and and showed over a 99% reduction in bacteria and viruses. Mold is a little harder to deactivate. So that was over 95% and that's all midair. And we have no filtration with our product. It's just pure ionization that's doing the the destruction of the pathogen in the chamber. So what happens to, I mean, matter can't be created nor destroyed. So what is happening to the mold once it's being sucked up and neutralized? The ionization actually deactivates the cell. So each of those pathogens is a prokaryotic cell. It's got a very thin or non-existing cell wall. The ionization basically attaches to it and deactivates the nucleus. So it can't cause viruses anymore. It can't give an infection anymore and it can't grow mold anymore. So it's basically inert material, which is completely harmless. It's expelled as like a vapor or not even that. Those are so small, it's microscopic. It's still there. It's just, it can't reproduce and it can't make you sick. It's not removing the matter from the room. It's just deactivating it so it's harmless. Which is important. Yeah, it's much more sustainable than having to gather it somewhere and, you know, stockpile it and destroy it like nuclear waste. 
Well, if you kind of think of how filtration works, it's all about air changes. You've got to take all the air in the room and you've got to pass it through a filter, which is very inefficient. So it's a huge amount of power to take all that air and just suck it into this filter, clean air back out. And it's also very slow because you're waiting to always recycle and create clean air versus ionization, which is just the ions are all around you. And it's immediately deactivating all the pathogens right next to where you are in the room. So it's not about taking anything out of the room and putting it through a filter. It's about creating ions that attack it and, and proactively destroy it in the space you're in. And let's talk about this product as a product of its time. The idea predates the pandemic, and yet we've been focused on air filtration systems more than ever after two years of lockdown and consideration of the safety of airline travel, for example. But in general, to what extent does the prevalence of COVID over the past two years affect where you see PureCleanse could go in the near and far term? We've sold almost 3,000 units so far, a lot to residential. So a lot of people are using it in their homes. They have like a musty basement. They have mold problems in the room. They have company coming over and they want to feel healthier to create the ions and then so that people don't get sick. That's kind of how we've sold all our products so far is just everybody wants to solve those two main problems. In businesses, we're doing the same thing. It's mainly to, to mitigate mold and viruses and bacteria in those spaces too, where they want to get people back to the office, people back in their restaurant, in the hotel, you know, to come and, and stay over. So a lot of it is business owners and operators that are saying, okay, listen, we want to show our customers we care. And we put PureCleanse in to show that and to help mitigate these three things. And how do you think the prevalence of COVID might affect revenue projections going forward in terms of maybe creating markets you weren't necessarily aware of two years ago? Well, I mean, obviously the virus campaign for us has been very strong because of COVID. There's always new variants and strains coming out all the time. So the pandemic, we're living through it and, and dealing with it better in the U.S., but it's going to be a long-term thing that we're going to have to deal with for quite some time. Uh, do you see, since it is so prevalent, it's all it's top of mind for a lot of us. I imagine there are plenty of people who are trying to develop something similar to your patented technology. So if you look at being first to market and staying there, how do you see yourself staving off competitors? And how do you think that this particular technology will outshine them? Well, we have some new products that are coming out in 2022. We're adding HEPA filtration with our ionization technology, as well as some smart sensors and things like that that can help demonstrate how well PureCleanse works in the room. We have a whole product roadmap for the next three years with really amazing new products that incorporate our core technology, but then really deliver on value, price, and performance. Is that the kind of thing you're looking to develop with this equity raise? Absolutely. I mean, the main use of proceeds from this crowdfunding campaign is to build and launch these new products. I keep thinking about how you talked about the different businesses you've created over the years. Now, there was a through line to them. There was a problem solving through line, but there wasn't necessarily a lot of relationship between the subject matters themselves. How restless is your mind? Because it's, it seems to me that whenever you decide to start something new, there's a whole arcane vocabulary and a particular industry knowledge that you have to acquire, if not from scratch, almost close to that. So what do you think the through line is between all these businesses you've started and how you've established yourself, not just as an entrepreneur, but as a serial entrepreneur? Well, it's always about solving problems, right? I mean, that 
the first thing they teach you in engineering school is you're going to solve problems all day long and, and you've got to love to do that or you should leave, right? So I love to solve problems. I love to build things. I love to take an idea and really see it in the market and then evolve it and make it even better. And really, really products that help people either stay healthy or just enjoy themselves. Everything I've ever created was about that. And so I'm pleased that Pure Cleanse is sort of that next new product that I have a chance to launch and work on because it really, it ticks all those boxes. How much of this inspiration do you think has rubbed off on your kids? How old are they? Well, my oldest is 23. Uh, he, he just graduated from college. I have a 20-year-old, a 17-year-old, 14 and 10. So I was going to uh, say, if you, you yeah, just botched the uh, order there, you had the efficiency <laughs> of a three-year interval between all your kids. And then number five came along a year late. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'm very blessed. They, they all have different things they're talented in or like to do. And one thing is I've always, I've worked from home for a long time. So they've really seen what I've done. It's not like I've gone to the office. And so I've always had a, a lot of uh, time at home where they can kind of see what I'm working on. And so it's going to be interesting to see where they go from here. Well, especially the life of an entrepreneur. I mean, you have to cope with initial frustrations and, and problem solving within problem solving. In terms of, as you say, you've acted now to move your operations from China to Vietnam. That's a big problem you're trying to solve. I know I work at home as well, and my sons would watch me exult when something great happened and mutter to myself for a while when it didn't. And I think there's a lot there about teaching your kids how to encounter triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. How do you think that rubs off on a child in terms of teaching him to solve problems and develop these coping mechanisms that, you know, kids need to become adults. It's a great tool, right? For their toolbox. They're so young. It's going to be interesting to see how they do with that. Right. I, I see how they do in school and they all do really well in school and have, have excelled. And, and so it'll be interesting to see as they get bigger, how that evolves for them. So your oldest is fresh out of college is what do you think he's going to do now? Uh, he's going to give a shot at acting. He wants to Is that a fact? Yeah. He's been a performer, you know, since eighth grade, right? He's done every you know high school and middle school production he could get his hands on, and and in college he also kept kept doing it. But he's going to get a part time job too because you know that's not going to pay bills right away. <laughs> because so, dad's uh, job is to make yeah. you get a fallback. <laughs> <laughs> he has a good degree from a great school, and you know he has options if it doesn't work out too. So, so you talk about an entrepreneurial job. I think a great idea would be somehow to broker relationships between foreign real estate owners who need their properties watched and aspiring performers who'd be more than happy to house it. And, <laughs> and that right. might be great. the job that your son develops. It's uh, perfect for him. I should give him that idea. He'd be great at that. That's, that's great free that. of charge. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I know a lot of people who aspire to be in your position are listening to this podcast, wondering what type of advice you might give them especially when they start their first business and recognize that, you know, revenue might be pretty far off. When you start a business or when you have a passion to solve a problem and create a business to do that, what do you think your decades of experience as an entrepreneur, what kind of advice would that yield to someone who's just starting out? Don't give up. You know, the first two, three years are very tough. And it's, there's a lot of times when you're, you may not see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? Keep going. And keep trying and, and really create a good team around you that can help you do it too. Surround yourself with experts or talent that you're not good at. So you can lean on them to do the things that to fix your weaknesses is probably the most important thing. 
Yeah, make sure you know what you don't know. Yep. How does that dynamic work at PureCleanse? What kind of people have you surrounded yourself with there and how do they uh, fill in the holes in your own expertise to help round out the package of uh, leadership? We have really talented R&D person, Jared, who you know knows the technology better than anybody. He's the science guy who really kind of has helped us engineer the catalyst itself. And really that's the core tech uh, of how this works. So he's been vital in that. We're doing a continued amount of coding development and the coding is super important because we could take a bad coding and our product doesn't work even with the patented shape. So that by creating an even more powerful coding allows us to take our technology and we could scale it down in size even further. We already have very small products for as big of an area that it covers, it's only 11 inches tall. So uh, we could treat a 3000 square foot room with a three pound device, which is very hard to do. But imagine as we get that coding technology even more powerful, how much smaller we can make everything. And that gives us a lot of flexibility in how we want to incorporate that into all kinds of form factors, whether it be for vehicles or personal use to even cheaper prices than ever because the cost is so much smaller because the device is small. So that's a key person in our group. On the marketing side, we've got a great team of marketing people that really have helped us create our, our campaigns, our marketing materials, our videos, our messaging, and really allowing us to build a lot of demand and revenue. And we're now just building an even bigger sales team. That's a big piece that we're building next. And I guess with your connections with Marvel, we there could come a time when uh, we'll see some strategic product placement in uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange 3. <laughs> As someone who's created a bunch of businesses, you're also very familiar with exit strategies. So what can we talk about exit strategies for PureCleanse in particular? How are you seeing this play out in the next few years? And where might your investors end up down the road? No, it's interesting because we are already talking different strategics that could purchase us. We already have been networking into big companies that have air purification products and other products that they sell. So large distribution channels. And what they're looking for is a technology like PureCleanse that's proven to work safely and to deactivate so well. If you can imagine taking our core technology and our product lines and then putting them in, into an even bigger pipeline for them has a lot of value. And so there's tremendous amounts of opportunities there where we could be acquired by one of those strategics. And the IP is patented. Yeah, it's trademarked. Yep. We have patents all over the world, already issued patents and several that are going to be issuing soon. All the major markets are protected from Europe, Canada, US, China, Japan, and others. And we're also creating a great brand name that uh, is pretty new now to most people, but you know, we're really putting good visuals and design around it, messaging that kind of sets it apart and makes it unique. So all of that has a lot of value for a strategic to come in and purchase us. We also have the opportunity to do an IPO if, if we scale properly. Uh, we have a, a few more technologies that we're working on that are going to also set us apart from other air purifiers, from the sensing and data side, where we can provide important data that you know how PureCleanse is impacting improving the room air quality. So when I talked earlier about our product pipeline, those are some of the other big pieces that are already in development that we're going to be kind of rolling out in the next two to three year timeline, which will help even scale our, our revenue growth even faster. Do you have experience with a, with a traditional IPO in the past or would this be new territory for you? Uh, an IPO would be new. I've done, I've done strategic acquisitions and things like that before, but not an IPO. 
And would you be looking toward a traditional IPO process as opposed to like a SPAC or some other alternate? I think so. uh, yeah. Traditional would be the probably most prudent way to go. But we have to kind of see what the what, what the market bears, right? These things kind of are very cyclic and, and we're open to the best way for that's going to really provide the best return for our investors. And that's the way to end, right? Just to say that you're, if you invest in Pure Cleanse, your money's in good hands and it's probably even a little bit cleaner. <laughs> yeah, I keep thinking this discussion. I keep thinking about one of my favorite lines from uh, from David Letterman. He would make this joke over and over again. He'd say, "It's a phenomenon that's sweeping the nation, and doesn't the nation need a good sweeping?" <laughs> Chris, it's been great to talk to you. I'm, I'm really glad that this product has come to be. I think it's a product of its time. I think it's got great opportunity, and um, I really appreciate your time sharing your insights, your origins, and toys and how PureClans can make our hospital rooms and, and our basements safer and better smelling places. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. It was great to meet you. Thanks for setting this up. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to episode 238 of the Successfully Funded Podcasts. I've been your host, Doug French. And uh, if you're looking for more information about PureClans and what they do, Chris, tell the listeners how they can find out more. Yeah, please visit us at purecleanse.com where you can learn about our products and also buy one if, you, if you're interested. Right. And for the sake of, uh, again, it's P-U-R-A-C-L-E-N-Z dot com, because all the real words are taken. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Chris, thanks again for the chat. I really enjoyed it. And I wish you the best of luck with this. Thanks, Doug. Thanks for having me. Thank you again for listening. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye.